Joining me this week on the Friday Film Club is singer Daniel James, who shot to fame back in the 80s under Simon Cowell. And he talks a lot about his ups and downs in the music industry. Uh, you really don't want to miss this conversation. It's great. And uh, we throw a few uh, film choices in the mix as well. Uh, so do check it out. And remember to follow us on social at the Fry Film Club. Share the episode and tell everyone about us. Enjoy the show. So, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Yeah, and uh, I guess before we get into the, the usual questions, uh, let's talk a bit about you. Uh, so, I mean, you've had, a, you've had a long career in the music industry. So, uh, I guess, give us a bit of a whirlwind tour from start to now. Oh, goodness me. Well, first off, first record was Dream Lover, a white heart-shaped record. Uh, unfortunately, um, somebody brought a version out, a, a famous person brought a version out of the track two weeks before mine did. So first single was a turkey. Second single uh, was with Mike Stock and Matt Aiken, and um, everyone preferred the B side to the A side, um, but the record company wouldn't flip it. So the second record was a turkey. Mike and Matt were great. It was when they were young and very hungry and fabulous, you know. And, um, and the third single, No Easy Way to Love, was an entrant in... The song for Europe, which used to be the precursor to Eurovision for us. Yeah. And I came fourth in the competition. So the fourth, the third single was a turkey. That was written by the guy that wrote uh, the Brotherhood of Man hit Save Your Kisses for Me. So my, my, the start of my career was a big learning curve. But it's strange, although I was obviously very disappointed. I think when you're really young, those things can, they hit you, but you just go on to the next and on to the next and on to the next. I think it's not until you get a bit older that you suddenly re you feel a bit worn down by it. But after three singles, I went. I then um, was acting on TV, and I was presenting children's BBC. And I used to do the birthdays, and then I did a series called But First This. And it was five every morning, uh, Monday to Friday, with games, um, interviews with pop groups, videos, uh, cartoons, and making odd things like cakes or, you know, interviewing people that kept ferrets. So it was like a bizarre morning show. It was great fun. I mean, you know, kids loved it. It was a kid's show, nine till 12 every morning or something. So yeah. that was great. And it, through that, I met a guy called Jeff Chegwin. He was a, a, a plugger. He used to take records into radio stations and try and get them to play it. But he was just going into management. Was that, is that any relation him. to Keith? Yeah, it's Keith's twin. Oh, no way. And Janice Long's brother. Yeah, your family. They were all from Liverpool. And Keith and um, Jeff had all had come down to stage school as children. And, you know, they're older than me. But if you go back in the archives, you can see both Jeff Chegwin and Keith in commercials when they were kids. <laughs> um, so they were like, you know, those little kids that were in Oliver, those kind of things, you know, those stage school kids. Yeah. So Jeff knew the business inside out. He became my manager. I, he introduced me to another guy. We started writing songs. And every day I'd go over with reams of ideas of songs, usually about failed relationships and dramatic things in my life. But we ended up writing, you know, a couple of albums worth of material and then touring and, and all of that. And that became Yell. And Yell had a top 10 hit with instant replay in the 90s. And we had an amazing time and it crashed and burned uh, very, very badly for me. So I ended up getting completely wiped out, lost everything and emotionally in pieces, had a breakdown, left the music industry 
went to America, acted off Broadway, did some TV in LA, and then licked my wounds, came back to London, got an acting agent, and then had roles in Coronation Street, Last Tango in Halifax, Casualty, Doctors, and then just before lockdown, I did a role in EastEnders. So basically became a jobbing actor. And yeah. then during the first lockdown, uh, all my family were up north. I was totally on my own. I mean, like most people during lockdown, it, it, was, it wasn't easy. The first lockdown it was quite yeah. difficult, especially if you weren't, didn't have your family with you. And even if you had your family with you, people sometimes were getting on each other's wick, you know. So yeah. I was on my own and I just went out for loads of walks. And it was during, I'd so, you know, every, in that first lockdown, everyone seemed to watch the five o'clock news bulletin, you know, and we all breathed it in, soaked it in. And it was, you know, it was like this thing unfolding, this shock, yeah. you know, people stuck in care homes, kids not being able to go out to play, families not seeing each other, people losing jobs. I mean, it was, so I would go for these walks and suddenly on these long walks, I started to get these lyrics and these melodies in my head. And bear in mind, I hadn't done it for decades. You know, really, I'd stepped away from the music industry. I'd had a breakdown. Mm. I blamed myself for the demise of the group. I turned what wasn't my fault into my fault. And it's, it's strange. Sometimes, you know, you can your brain can do funny things to you, you know? Mm. And um, I blamed myself for everything. I I couldn't, I wouldn't sing. I didn't sing. I didn't write. I didn't do every, anything. I even watched The X Factor when that was on mm. from a detached point of view. I watched it as a punter. I didn't watch it as a, as a musician, as a singer-songwriter. It was bizarre. Anyway, wrote the songs during the first lockdown and um, ended up recording a song called Set Your Spirit Free, which was about us coming out of lockdown and our emotions in lockdown. And I put it on Spotify and it, the, loads of little radio stations all over the country started to play it and asked to interview me. And it went into the top 20 of the Heritage chart and suddenly... I was an artist again, and I, it's yeah. not something I planned, not something I thought about, not something anybody asked me to do. <laughs> but it was like cathartic for me. It's, this has been my therapy. You are, you know, you're part of my therapy, little do you know it, and I don't even have to pay you. I mean, come on. So basically, Set Your Spirit Free came out, got played on stations, I got interviewed left, right, and center, and I started to heal. It's been a mm. healing process where I've stopped punishing myself, and I've started to realize you know, because I, you know, at the height of it, somebody said to me, you're old, ugly and untalented and you'll never work again. And that kind of stays with you for a long time. So I've undone a lot of all of that poison, all that horrible stuff. And I've started to enjoy writing again. I've written, um, I've been writing with someone else, um, writing a song possibly for K-pop, you know, for South Korea, which yep. has been exciting with, some, with two people that live in Kent, funny enough. So I've been doing that. I've also been working on, uh, obviously, the second single, which is out now called Don't Want to Lose That Girl. And that's about people towards the end of lockdown. It's about three couples. And I would go out in, towards the end of lockdown. You could go on safe distance walks. So I'd go out with these people of various ages. And there were three couples all going through states of nearly breaking up because they'd They'd had a tough time in lockdown, you know, mm. living in cramps, cramped places or losing work or, you know, and they were all on the verge of breaking up. And I'd go out on these walks with them and they'd all tell me their woes. And I stayed neutral. I didn't say a word. But again, after a couple of weeks, I kind of soaked it all up and mm. I started writing. And one of the guys, the elderly guy, said to me, I don't want to lose that girl. And that title just stuck in my head. So that's how the second single came about. It's about three couples struggling during lockdown. And that might, people might be thinking, oh, that sounds like a bit of a dreary old tat. But actually, 
it's a really up-tempo track, very summery. And at yeah. the start, the, when it was released a couple of weeks ago, it was sunny and lovely. And it was like, well, I put the radio on and it came on and I was like, wow, this actually sounds okay. You know, and it's very summery. Because <laughs> now the weather's, the weather's been absolutely crap. And I'm thinking, <laughs> come on, I need, the, I need the sun to come out. Because, you know, in the summer, there's certain records you associate with the summer. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, come on, come on, where's the sun? You know, it's almost like I want to pay the sun to come out. The, the summer thing has just been, you know, it's been a bit of a disaster, but thankfully the record's gone up. It's gone up the charts. It's now uh, gone up the heritage chart, so to mm. 21. So I'm hoping it's going to climb like the other one did. It's a really summary up-tempo song. So I've got Don't Wanna Lose That Girl Out. I'm writing a track for K-pop, and I have another single coming out in uh, about a month's time. And this, I'm the guy that didn't really want to do a cover version of Instant Replay. When I was with, with, with Simon Cowell in Yale, we had these, they weren't arguments, but they were tennis matches because obviously Simon's history was cover versions and Sunita. Yeah. And I, I saw myself as a singer-songwriter. So we'd have these sparring things, you know, where I was trying to persuade him to release one of our tracks from the album because I didn't win. But um, I never wanted to be a cover version person. But lo and behold, I think as you get a bit older, you learn that you can actually take a track and change it slightly. Mm. Uh, I, think, I think the thing is I'm more in control now. What's happened to me coming back into the music industry and, and this cathartic experience I'm having, I realise that, you know, I don't have the big, big record company behind me. You know, I haven't got a record company buying, you know, well, they don't buy the clothes. You pay for them out of your own uh, earnings. But I don't have the wardrobe and, and, and the, the big stuff that a record company have. But what I do yeah. have is control. And yeah. I can choose what, what, what kind of song I write and when I release it and what my image is and, and also what you talk about. You'd be amazed. Obviously, you probably know from the industry yourself how young groups are coached and, and, and molded in a certain way that they don't necessarily mean. I mean, I would love to advise some of these groups that are, that are rocketing up the chart and, and making millions because I read constantly in the press about the emotional suffering that they, they, a lot of them go through, you know, yeah. the burnout, the stress, the abuse. I say, I, I say alleged abuse. I, I can't concur on that. But um Problem is, you know, when when you when these record companies get a band, they want to milk them for every every second. You know, they want to mm. recoup the money and then they want to make millions, which they do. But they don't take into account the emotional welfare. And the fact is, if one minute you're plodding along the street with your mates and your family and the next minute you're on thousands of magazine covers and TV shows, it's going to affect you emotionally. If you're standing yeah. on stage and you're being screamed at like we were, you know, 35,000 people in Barcelona, you know, we were on the cover of 30 magazines in, in a month or two weeks, you know, you emotionally, the balance in your life changes. And on top of that, then imagine not getting a day off for a couple of years. Yeah. On the surface, to everybody outside, that you know, they're doing hard grafting jobs in offices or building sites. They look at that and they think, what are you moaning about? But it's the emotional exhaustion and wear and tear it takes. And I think people can lose their sense of judgment. And I think when you're exhausted, you don't make the best decisions. So yeah. my, my tip, if anybody wanted it, would be to, if you sign a record deal, get a good lawyer that knows the music industry <laughs> and have written into your contract some downtime. Because I know myself, when we had when we, when shows were cancelled, we were in Holland once and the show was cancelled, and we hopped on a couple of bikes and we just cycled for miles. 
mm. doing absolutely nothing. And we hadn't done nothing for three or four years. We, <laughs> you know, we were like a little well-oiled machine, but we were drained and exhausted. And as I say, that's when tensions arrive. That's when, you know, um, you feel that the rec- people complain that record companies are taking advantage. So get a good lawyer and make sure it's written into your contract that you get some downtime, whether you get to be with your friends and family, because they're the ones that, that remind you of reality. And I'm not talking about people being conceited and needing, you know, needing slapping down. I'm seriously just talking about exhaustion uh, and working too hard. So that would, they would be my two tips. I know you didn't ask for them, but they've come out. So basically, don't want to lose that girl. Um, new single is a cover version after this. It's coming out in September and it's a cover version of the old Minnie Ripperton hit, Loving You. Loving you is easy because you're... Be- yeah? Nice, I won't nice. Sing uh, yeah, well... I've speak with, it's up tempo. So it's mm. a, it's dancey pop and it's a duet. I have a, a fabulous girl singer featuring. In fact, in all honesty, this is where my ego has gone out the window. She sings more of the song than me. I don't care because <laughs> it works. You know yeah. what I mean? It works. And it's not like, you know, oh, you've got that line. I'll have that line. It, it actually works better that she sings the verses and I join her in the choruses. And I even speak, I even talk on the record and no, it's not rap. So no, you don't have to pelt the screen, you know. I'm not, I'm not suddenly thinking I'm, de- you know, I'm hip and whatever. Who gives a, who gives a shit about, who gives a, a whatever about that? So yeah, so that's coming out in September. So we've got an up tempo version of, of loving you, and it's, yeah. it's really, you know, uh, lively. And we've got a couple of dance, we've had a couple of dance mixes as well. Cafe Mambo have done a, Cafe Mambo have done a dance mix. Yeah. So that's going on. The K-pop's going on. Don't lose that girl's going on. So this is the guy that during, you know, the first lockdown wasn't even in the industry so yeah. i mean wow what a turnaround for me you know two hours ago you said to me so daniel give us a quick run through of where of your background <laughs> so people are sitting at home going right i've grown a beard during that i better have a shave <laughs> <laughs> yeah no but it's amazing to hear your story though and i uh, will talk more about it through the show and i've got to say i listened to don't want to lose that girl it has got a very kind of 80s sort of sound to it and I got, it, there's almost and I don't know if this is a compliment or an insult to you, but um, I get hints of sort of a Gary Barlow kind of kind of vibe to to your voice. So I, I yeah, it's it's enjoyable. Somebody I like said it. Mick, somebody said to me yesterday, Mick Hucknall. Oh, okay, somebody, yeah, yeah. You said yeah. I keep getting these comparisons. I mean, you know, that's what people do. You know, listen, I'm just happy to be singing. You know, as long as they're not <laughs> saying to me that there's three dogs at the door, I'm happy. So thank you. I'll take any compliments. I mean, Gary Bar, I wish I was a pound behind him. <laughs> I bet he won't be happy in November if they release something and they go, God, you know what? You sound a bit like that, that Daniel James. And you go, <laughs> Daniel who? But I did me take that in their very early days, just before they made the Jelly video. Oh, yeah. I went, I went with my girlfriend at the time to see them in a gig in somewhere near... Um, yeah, met the boys in the early days. And of course, Jason was a dancer before he was in um, Take That. And yeah. Jason, you, there was a TV show years ago called The Hitman and Her three in the morning from a club up north. And we were on that loads. And Jason was one of the dancers. He was a nice guy. You know, he used to dance behind all the, all the bands. Yeah, that's, that's great. And uh, yeah, I, will, I want to touch a bit more on your kind of early, uh, early music career as we go through. Um, but let's, let's dive into a couple of these questions. Um, so firstly, what is your favorite film of all time? Oh, people are going to say, what? Which film? Listen, I'm going to say the movie Kez. Go, I was going to say go and hire it. Get it online, download it, watch it. It's, I'm obviously originally from the North and um, 
it just resonated so much because my PE teacher was just like the PE teacher in this movie. <laughs> in fact, my rugby teacher was as well. I can remember when I was little, people asked me, oh, when did you first start singing? Well, I sang once in infant school and never in the senior school. Because in the yeah. senior school, the person that was in charge of the drama and the singing, he was also the rugby teacher. And he was this really big guy. And I liked football. I wasn't really into rugby. And it was a cold, hard winter's day. Think of the movie Cares. If you haven't seen it, I'm going to draw you a picture. The North. In my, in my case, the Northeast. Cares, the Northwest, or Yorkshire. Hard, cold, ice-ridden, stud-ridden football or rugby pitch on the floor. Right. I'm playing rugby with my mate at school. We're in a scrum. I pass him the ball. Somebody tackles him and his, they, they really tackle him hard. And he feels this sharp pain in his arm, thinks nothing of it. 20 minutes later, the game's over. We're in the showers. He looks down and he's got a tooth embedded in his, his forearm. <laughs> right. So in the north, you know, that's what happens, you know, cold, you know, like minus three degrees. You're in the short shorts. You've just done a cross country and you've got the PE teacher shouting, come on, lad. And he's whacking you around the head because in those <laughs> days they could. So if you watch Cares, people are sitting at home thinking, well, that's just a film about child abuse. <laughs> but it's, it's actually like a historical document, really, because it tells mm. you. I mean, it's obviously way before my time, this movie, but because it's in black and white as well. But it, believe it or not, things didn't start changing in our educational, in an education system for decades. So that kind yeah. of behavior where teachers really, you know, did hit their kids and, and did emotionally blackmail them and, and whatever, that was still going on when I was at school. So Mr. Grattan, Eddie Grattan, this rugby teacher, um, said to me, you know, can you sing? And I said, yeah. And he, he went, right, if you want to be, uh, if you want to be in the drama group and you want to be in the choir, you've got to be in the rugby team. And I went, well, actually, and I knew about me mate with the tooth in his arm, you know, yeah. and the guy that's tooth was in his arm was at the other end of the shower with the blood coming down his mouth <laughs> and nobody giving him monkeys. Nobody was going, oh, you know, you need a bandage. You need the dentist. It was like, no, that was northern life. You know, probably yeah. going in Wales and Scotland, you know, basically, <laughs> you know, life was was tough. So um, I knew that and I thought. I don't want to lose a tooth. I don't want a tooth in my arm. I'd rather play football. So I said to him, please, sir, I said, um, I, actually, I'm, I'm going to try out for the football team. And he whacked me right across one of my ears really hard, so much so that I kind of went deaf for about 10 seconds. Jeez. You know when you see, those old, you see those old Tom and Jerry cartoons where the woman used to hit him on the head with a frying pan and he'd go, <laughs> bing, and little yeah. birds would tweet around his head. <laughs> well, I had seagulls tweeting around my head and shooting in the eye. So basically, Basically, um, I said no. So he said, right, you're not being in the drama group and you're not being in the choir or whatever. You're not going to sing. So the whole of senior school, I didn't perform at all. Yeah. Probably most people's relief. So I sang once in infant school, once in junior school and never in senior school. So um, the Ken Loach movie, Kez, resonates incredibly with me because it's, a, it's almost like a graphic diary of working class life mm. in the North and that didn't change probably until late eighties, you know? Yeah. And, and I love it because it's got truths in it. It's really, um, and there's some great performances. Lots of it is improvised. There's this guy, there's this young boy that's from a, you know, his brother works down the mines. It's a hard working class life, cold, dark and, and grim, but with lots of humor. And he, he, he finds it, he lives on the edge of the countryside and he, he makes friends with a kestrel. And the kestrel comes to him and he learns to feed it and train it. 
Um, I won't tell you the end of the movie because it's, it's, it's quite sad, but it's a great, it's not only a, a kind of like a historical document about life then, but it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful depiction of the relationship between the boy and the bird. Yeah. So if I haven't ruined it, if I haven't ruined it for everybody, go and watch it and then say to your parents, was your school like this? Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I agree. I think Kez is a film that we, we were made to watch in school. Uh, and I think a lot of people are because it is it just it captures that kind of northern working class life better mm. than than almost any other film I've seen. And yeah. Ken Loach does such a brilliant job in in yeah. keeping that kind of really visceral kind of uh, gritty reality in the film. But it's also, as you say, it's a really sweet story about a boy uh, and and his relationship with with um, Kez and. It's just, yeah, it's, it's a good film. It's a nice movie, isn't it? It's a nice yeah, it movie. Is. I'm glad they showed it to you in school because that's really nice because I think when you're young, seeing that, you know, where, wherever you, because obviously the kid had a hard life, but there is an outside thing. You know, you're, like I said to you earlier, the brain is amazing and he formed this emotional connection with the bird and that helped him. You know, he'd, he used to nick mm. off school. You know, he'd, he'd be bunking out of school in the afternoon and he'd run and then he'd, you know, he'd nick some food from somewhere, not for himself. Cause I mean, it, the guy weighed about three stone if he was wet, you know, <laughs> he was skinny as a rake, but he became dedicated to the bird and he would yeah. go and call the bird and put his arm out and feed the bird. And it, it beautiful, you know, yeah. beautiful to watch. So that's my favorite movie. Yeah. Great. It was a close run thing though. Cause I nearly said home alone and I nearly said uncle buck. <laughs> <laughs> also great choices but i'm glad oh, you said uncle Kez. Buck. Uh, yeah uh, yeah uh, uncle buck and home alone are, are just family favorites aren't they but uh, but kez you can't beat it I'm, I'm glad you said it because um i i don't think that will come up very often if at all again so uh great to get give it a mention on the show and yeah everyone should check it out um it's got to be available somewhere uh, which brings us on to the other end of the spectrum uh, what is your least favorite film oh that's a tough one and i didn't really think this one out I'm probably going to say, what's that, that movie with the woman that was in, oh, God, what's that? Julie Roberts is in it. Yeah. Um, and Rupert Everett, and he's her best mate, and it's a bit schlocky, schlocky, schlocky. Oh, are you thinking of Notting Hill? My best, well, can I be really honest with you? I mean, I shouldn't really say this, because I'm an mm. actor as well, and, and I'm probably going to, you know, if they hear it, but I've, I haven't seen Notting Hill. Um, I'm not really a big fan of those... Uh, you'd think I was, because I am a bit schmaltzy with the old Uncle Buck and Home Alone. <laughs> but I'm not really a fan of that um, that genre of yeah. um, let's depict London as a box of chocolates. Do you know what Fair I mean? Enough. I'm not really a fan of that. So actually, you know what? Thank you. You've, you've helped me. I'm not going to say the movie I was going to say with Julie Roberts and Rupert Everett. Um, I've pushed that one back. I've shunted it back. And I'm going to say, what was the other movie in that genre, in the Notting Hill thing? Notting Hill and um, Richard Curtis so the, directed them. So there was Four Weddings and a Funeral. I kind of don't mind that. But again, those kind of chocolate boxy, middle classy movies kind of grate on me a little bit because they're usually written, cast and directed by people who think they know what working class life is like. Mm. But it's depicted in it's depicted through their lens. And I yep. suppose we can draw a comparison with the fact that Ken Loach directed cares and lots of other movies and you you get that kind of rawness to it whereas the movies that we've just said notting hill and and four weddings are like a kind of chintzy curtain version of of real life yeah but, you know 
on the other hand, people love escapism, and and there's I suppose there's nothing wrong with a chocolate box movie every now and again. I I haven't seen Notting Hill. I've seen some clips, so I'm already classing it as a movie I don't want to go and see. <laughs> Sorry. Fair enough. Imagine, Fair enough. I can imagine if Richard Curtis's second niece on on his mother's side hears this, and I have a casting with him, and he goes, ah. <laughs> Actually, wouldn't it be great to swap Richard Curtis and and Ken Loach and get them to direct each each other's movies? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? That would be very interesting. More so to see how Ken Loach deals with. Um, a Richard Curtis script. Yeah. Uh, I think there'd be a few swear words in there, don't you? It wouldn't be like, quite possibly. Oh, oh, what a jolly girl she was. Oh, lovely. We had a jolly evening with the cocktails. <laughs> I mean, immediately it would be like, you know, there'd be a few F words in there, wouldn't there? <laughs> imagine, also bless him, imagine Richard Curtis with, with Kez. You know, he wouldn't be feeding the bird worms, it would be caviar. <laughs> yeah, oh, mummy, what's that code? Well, Mummy, what is a coal scuttle? Is that something from the Antiques Roadshow? <laughs> yeah, it's a valid point. Valid point. Um, so, did we did we land on a least favourite film, or is it Notting are you Hill? Just kind of I'm going to stick going with, with Notting, Notting Hill. Hill. That genre. Sorry. Okay. Four okay. weddings, Notting Hill. You know, I'm going to stick with those. And and forgive me if you're sitting on because it. I've, I mean, some you know, Notting Hill is a bit. Um, Four weddings is a bit of you know sitting on in the afternoon with your feet up on a Sunday afternoon movie. But I'm still sticking with that genre. And yeah. I ain't changing my mind, Governor. Fair enough. It's definitely a potentially controversial choice going for that. But uh, fair enough. Fair enough. Next question for you. Uh, which film or TV character do you most relate to? Oh, this is difficult. Um, uh, can I think about that for a minute and come back? Ask me another yeah. question because I'm struggling with that one. Yeah, we'll, we'll defer. Um so let's let's skip ahead to the next one, which is, what genre would your biopic be, and who would you cast? I would say my genre would be uh, it certainly wouldn't be sci-fi, kitchen sink drama, and I would pick. Uh, I was going to say, I've forgotten his name. Um, he was in Brokeback Mountain, and he's not the one that died. Oh, you're thinking of a. Uh... Uh, uh, I forget. I don't know how to pronounce his, his first name, but um, uh, Joaquin uh, Phoenix. No, no, no. Brokeback Mountain. Mm-hmm. Was he not in died, and the dark-haired yeah. guy that does yeah. a lot of movies. I thought that was Joaquin Phoenix. Um, I'm going to have to look this up now. Um, no, no. no. Um, I'll, you know what? Oh, I'll do Jake it. Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I'd say Jake Gyllenhaal. I just not so much kitchen sink drama because that I don't think that would be right from but Jake Gyllenhaal and it would just be um, a bit of a thriller because I've had a r- bit of a roller coaster life in a career where I've I've get I've worked hard, mm. gone through adversity, gained a lot, lost a lot, been on my knees and sort of clawed my way back up again and I think Jake would be able to play the sensitivity but with a bit of strength as well. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great choice, and I think that's that's the perfect kind of film for for someone like Jake Gyllenhaal. And um, yeah. I, I guess can kind we, of going can back, we phone to, him? can we phone him and arrange it? Oh, let's get on, let's get him on the phone. Yeah, yeah, we'll, get, we'll give his agent a call, make it happen. <laughs> um, and I, I I do think though you have got a, a really a really interesting story to tell. Particularly, I think what's really interesting is how cutthroat and and uh, ruthless the the entertainment industry can be. And you've got that firsthand. 
um, you know, you, you've had the ups, you've, you've had those massive downs and you've kind of come out when, of it. When I lost everything, I think we'd been in Germany, we flew back and the next day we were with a producer called Colin Thurston in Livingston mm. Studios, believe it or not, just up in Wood Green, great studio off the, off the main road, Colin Thurston, big producer. And we recorded one of the ballads that I'd written about some relationship and it had gone really well got back here late at night, next morning woke up and I opened one of the tabloids and the group was done, it was over. And mm. the shock, it just, it was as, it was like somebody had cut me in half. It literally, it was like physically someone had just, I'd been on a guillotine, but it had on my stomach and it literally ripped the guts out of me. And yeah. the thing is, there's no, there's, in the music industry, there's no HR. You know, you can't, you can't pick your phone and go, uh, what's happened? Can, can, can I come in? Can we have a meeting? Can we talk about this? You know, I've said to many people that I didn't know Elton John. I, you know, I couldn't ring Elton John and go, Elton, can you can you advise me? What can I do? You know, do you know yeah. someone that can sort this out? You know, since since this happened to me, in the in the years after that, I'd often open the paper or look on the internet, and some well-known person that had had the guts ripped out of them, like I had in a band or whatever, um, would say, oh, thankfully, you know. Elton John saved me. Uh, when when this happened, I, I I got in touch with Elton John, or I had happened to meet him beforehand, and I, mm. and and I got in touch with him, and he saved me. And I was like, God, I wish he'd saved me. <laughs> was really seriously, there was nobody. My family are you know working class people, really hard working people, with no experience in the music industry. And yeah. when this happened to me, they felt totally helpless. I can remember being at my parents' house and just breaking down one day on my own, and my mum coming in and just being devastated and calling my dad and they just didn't know what to do because they didn't know anyone to turn to to help me I literally lost everything overnight and I had the most terrible breakdown and um so yeah Jake Gyllenhaal he can whack that one out can't he, he probably can do that. <laughs> that would be a piece of cake to Jake with his CV yeah, you know, yeah he does that day in day out yeah I could, he'd say oh we can do that in half a day <laughs> just that scene yeah. I mean no <laughs> of course yeah yeah. I should have said yeah. Jaws. When you said about what, who I'd like to play me and what kind of movie, I should have said Jaws, really. You know, like chasing the monster and being attacked. <laughs> maybe that's the second half of my life, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's the sequel. Um, but yeah, I, I do think it's interesting. And, and when, so when that happened and, you know, you found out band was done, was that it as far as any support from the music industry? Was it just I like, bam, you were cut off? I, I really mean, people will find this hard. Nothing. I literally woke up, saw it, tried to phone people. Nobody took my calls. Wow. Nobody took my calls. So earlier on, I, when I was rambling, I talked a lot about bands, new bands in the industry that come in and are rocketed to international success, much bigger than the success I had, and the strains that they suffer and the contract they should have and how careful they should be. Well, the music business is very, very, very cutthroat, and it... I think nowadays there's more of a, a safety net for them. I think when people crash and burn nowadays, mental health is accepted. Mental health is discussed. Mm. In my day, it just even wasn't taken into account. You know, you were dumped, you were finished, you were washed up, get on with it. But like I say, I was in Barcelona, we were in Europe or somewhere, big fat live on stage. The, the pure adrenaline you get from performing in, in, front, in front of many thousands of people, 
is incredible. The high, the adrenaline rush, the release of the cortisol in your body in itself is a drug. You do that for several years. You do that with the photo sessions and the screaming and the adulation, which comes along naturally. It's not something you think you deserve. It just comes along. I had people sleeping outside my my house. I mean, my mum and dad came to see me and, you know, they, they, they just were used to telling me to pick me pants up off the floor, you know, <laughs> and then there's people like living outside my flat, which was amazing. And those, those people that were what you call fans of, 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 of a lot of them have stayed with me and, and come back with me through my solo experience. Now they are amazing and, yeah. and they're wonderful people, you know, and they've seen the rise and the fall and the kind of little rise I'm doing again. But in those days, there was no, there was no help. There was no helpline. There was, you know, you didn't put this morning on and Eamon would be saying, you know, we've got so-and-so on that's just lost his group and he, you know, he had a breakdown and they all talk about it and it's all wonderful. Mm. They weren't, it was none of that. I literally was on my own for a long time in a very bad place. Yeah. So, you know, but, you know, there are people who lose jobs every day of their life. You know, I'm, I mean, I'm not the only one it's happened to and there are people in much worse circumstances. I'm playing the violin, but only from the perspective of, a very high high and you have it taken away from you and you can't control it in any way yeah that was the difficulty that was the difficulty i had no power at all and i had no answer back yeah and i guess that's it isn't it it's that that illusion of control when you when you when you've got the fame and and i guess a lot of young people aren't aren't prepped for that 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 there's a big difference between having the fame and having the power as it were fame is an illusion just as much as the riches are an illusion because you know if you look back in pop history you see people like bros who admit themselves they used to spend 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 and they, their image was important to them and then i might be right in thinking they went bankrupt at some there's a there's a lot of illusion within the music industry and unfortunately when you look behind the curtain there's a lot of a lot of grief and a lot of sadness you know um mm. i mean there's some amazing highs i wouldn't listen I'm saying all of this. I still wouldn't have swapped it for the world. It was an amazing experience. I just wish that there'd been more awareness of what happens when you give someone a good kicking. You know, yeah, um, it takes them a long time to heal. Yeah, that's a very, very interesting point. Um, and I guess let's go back to the the earlier question. Uh, if this has helped, uh, which which film or TV character do you feel you most relate to? I'm still struggling because there's loads of images <laughs> passing through my mind. <laughs> The trouble is in, in television, you rarely get, you rarely get, you know, you get characters who are extreme. You rarely get people with colour, you know, like yeah. colour in their lives. I'm yeah. still struggling with that. I think you're going to have to carry on and that'll come to me in a bit. You might okay. have to help me. Okay, let's, let's go on to um, another question. Uh, so which, which is your most nostalgic film? Uh, you see, the thing is, I've got to confess, I am, I am even though I love all this working class grittiness, I love your schmaltz. And I, as I say, <laughs> I can watch Uncle Buck. If when, I, when it comes on the telly on a Sunday, I can watch it, but then I can go to the plus one and watch half of it again. So <laughs> I love Uncle, I love all those movies. They may, I think I need the counterbalance between the very harsh seriousness of the black and white movies yeah. and then the other extreme of I love Home Alone. I, I love, um, you know, people are going to be listening to this thinking, oh, thick as mud. Because I like, I like Die Hard 1 and Die Hard 2 as well. They're great. There's nothing wrong with that. Love those two movies. I love E.T. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a Star Wars fan. The people listening now going, wow, you really are. <laughs> but I also love a lot of old movies. Like I love Dr. Zhivago. Mm -hmm. David Lean. You know, look, look at David Lean's direction. 
that man had a palette and he painted with color and and great lighting when you look back at a lot of movies from the the um the 40s 50s and 60s the the set design the color the costumes you know they called it technicolor for a reason mm. you know and i love that so um i'm going to i'm going to pick another obscure black and white movie i'm going to pick the ipcrest fire interesting i thought you were i thought you were going to uncle buck and then bam just take a big well, sideways i'm going to say it because i love i I, listen, I am torn because, I mean, I've rambled on about bloody Uncle Buck so much you think I was related. <laughs> no, seriously, um, I'm going to say the Ipcris file only because I love I love old London. Yeah. Um, I love the black and white. I love I love the, the, the embankment where Michael Caine. There's another movie. There's another movie, Alfie, with Michael Caine. In. I mean, I'm actually mm. not a huge fan of Michael Caine's as an actor. I mean, he's fabulous. Don't get me wrong. But. But, but Alfie, he's, he's fantastic in, but it, it, it evokes the black and white 60s of London, you know? Mm. Um, and I love the buses, the, the, I love the fashion. I love the attitude. So The Ipcrest File is a spy movie and I love thrillers. So yeah. that's why when you asked me about what, would, what genre would my movie be, I kind of wanted it to be a thriller, but I can't make it a bloody thriller. <laughs> the only way I could make it a thriller is if I make it me and me against Simon Cowell, which one of us is going to win? And then it becomes, <laughs> doesn't it? It becomes the two flyers in the thing. Yeah. I did go go-karting with Simon Cowell years ago. And I, a fan, I went go-karting recently because the Heritage Chart did a big meeting at Daytona Milton Keynes. And Mike Reed and and like Paul Young and all the, the 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 heritage chart people were there. And I actually remember saying to Mike Reed when I was getting the clothes on, I said, you know, the last time I did this was with Simon Cowell, and I had to let him win. You know, <laughs> so I wasn't going to let him let anybody win this. To, well, anyway. So the thing is, yeah, if I did it, if if my genre was a, a thriller, it would or, or whatever, it would have to be like a Top Gun thing where it was me. You know, Simon Cowell and Daniel James against the world. And we would have to be in like in like opposing vehicles and looking at each other across the screen, you know, who's gonna win and the revving of the engine, you know? But my life can't really be a thriller. I think my life is a bit too turgid for that. There's too many <laughs> there's too many there's there's too many funny moments. Because as much as I've said about all this darkness, in darkness, because I'm northern, in darkness there's always loads of light and there's yeah. always loads of black comedy. So I think my, my genre would be a drama with a bit, bit of black comedy thrown in. But yeah, yeah the Yves Chris file, I'm going to go, Michael, the Yves Chris file just shades Uncle Buck. But believe me, it's by like a minute, it's a hair's breadth. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Um, and another question then, and, and maybe Uncle Buck is going gonna, is gonna to feature here. Um, what is your guilty pleasure? Oh, oh, it's certainly not those blooming chocolate box movies. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but Uncle Buck's won. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I, it was coming. I should be on money for saying Uncle Buck. People are going to say, could you say bloody Uncle Buck more? No, I think just because it's, I love that. Um, he's done some other movies as well. I mean, Trains, Planes and Automobiles is great. Mm -hmm. I think what it is, I think, I think this discussion has summed me up in, in a sense. It's just that there's, there's the very dark, dramatic side to my life that's serious and and driven and hard work and and success and loss and two very stark things, success and loss and mm. hardship. 
but there's also this other side to me that that loves humor and dark humor and and crazy humor so i think that sums me up really well you know how can you have two very different genres like pez and and uncle buck you know that and i think those sum me up perfectly i swim between yeah. them both absolutely yeah um and i think you've You've given us some very uh, interesting answers, some very different answers as well. Um, you've really, you've really turned turn the clocks back with your answers uh, that, that yeah, no, well, no one just, else has. I think during lockdown, I think the reason I've done that is I, I watched a lot of those things during lockdown because it was a reflective yeah. period and they yeah. stayed in my mind. Probably if we hadn't have had the lockdown, I may have given you some slightly different answers. So I think my answers are reflected, a reflection of the lockdown and what movies I was watching. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because um, lockdown has, has really done that to people. I think we've we've had the time to be with our own thoughts a little bit more, which is maybe good, maybe bad. I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say a flawed James Bond. So I would like a flawed James Bond to play me. Interesting. So I'm gonna say a cross between yeah, a flawed James Bond, somebody that strives for things but has flaws. Interesting and. That kind of takes us back to the one question that you haven't yet answered. Yeah, it's difficult. <laughs> Have you got one yet? Have you got a film or TV character that you relate to? I haven't. I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I think I'm a bit of a split personality. I think I'd probably need two, I think I'd probably need two characters and one of them would be in a straitjacket. Well, they, there's your answer. You've got the guy from, um, um, from Split, the, the guy that James McAvoy plays, 18 different personalities. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. I'm not as bad as that. Bloody hell! <laughs> hey. A very, a very, very vanilla version of that. Well, slightly vanilla. Do you know what though? I think you're right. I think there's like there's just the you know there's just the very big up and the very big down with some black comedy in the middle. Yeah. But probably to, compared to most people, I'm probably just boring. Really. You know, I probably think it's interesting. <laughs> most people they're like they're yawning. You know. It's interesting though because I think you know I think anyone on, who hasn't been in the music industry. There is a fascination with with your career and what you've done, as as with any sort of musician, and I think it's it's interesting to to speak to you and hear your story because you've you've been through that whole process. You know, you've the, the highs of going up and the, the the lows of coming back down the other side, and you seem to have kind of made peace with all of that. This post lockdown journey has been the best therapy ever. Because, you know, if it only lasts another, you know, I had five minutes before, I'm on my third, fourth minute now. So if it disappears, I've been in control of it. And as I say, hmm. I love nothing. You know what? When I was recording Set Your Spirit Free, I hadn't sung for decades. I loathed anything to do with myself and the industry and singing. And it took me such a, a large amount of strength to get in the studio and put the cans on, the earphones. And I always have one off and one on. And it was only when I heard my voice back, I thought, I can st that, that, that doesn't sound bad. I can still do this. That's how, how my self-belief had been crippled. It was, when I said I'd been decapitated from the stomach upwards and downwards, I truly mean that. I wasn't being some humble tosser that goes, oh, I genuinely loathed everything about my voice and how I looked. I was completely wrecked. When somebody says to you, when somebody in power says, when you're... When you haven't had a day off in like a couple of years and you're exhausted and drained and someone looks you in the eye and says you're old, ugly and untalented and you'll never work again. And they're very high up in the industry. Believe me, that can leave its mark. Probably when you're not vulnerable, you turn around and give them an expletive. <laughs> but when you're worn down and you're drained and, and exhausted and you've had to go to some Harley Street doctor to give you a B12 injection because you're so drained, 
mm. then that kind of comment can really have an effect on you. And then if in that same period of time, they take every bit of your career away, it's yeah. seriously going to have an effect on you. And I think and I blamed myself. So when I heard my voice singing Set Your Spirit Free, and I suddenly thought, oh, I can do it. I, I didn't think I could. I mean, how on earth did I get to that place? You know, mm. how on earth did I, bouncing around on top of the pops like somebody with a battery in his back, touring <laughs> the world, you know, love or hate the genre we were in, I still worked hard, you know? You don't have to yeah. like it to see how hard I worked and the energy I put into writing all the material for the albums and stuff. Love or hate it, I'd work really hard, but how on earth did I get from being that person to being someone that didn't even believe they were worthy of singing again and didn't you know i'm not saying it's yeah. amazing journey as in as in, as in aren't i special but even i'm saying bloody hell you know that contrast so yeah this this two minutes i'm getting now is a thrill for me because i'm having fun and i'm i'm mending i'm mending the 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 wounds and also i'm enjoying what i'm doing i'm enjoying the music and if if somebody likes the song I'm chuffed to little acorns. I get up on the morning, I put the radio on, I hear my track, and I actually lie in bed and think, wow, I never thought I'd hear myself <laughs> on the radio again. So, you know, thank you for this extra two minutes. Yeah, and it's, I love that. I love that you've come out the other side and you're, you're a lot more comfortable with who you are and, and what you do. And, and I, I have to ask, um, obviously that, was, that, that must have been such a tough blow to take for someone to say that to you. Are you allowed to say who that was? Um, I am, but I'm, I'm saving it for my book. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's plug the book now. Whenever it comes out, go buy it for that exclusive. <laughs> There's a, I've, I've scratched the surface today. Listen, it was a wonderful... I, I had the most wonderful experience being a pop star. And, yeah. and if anyone gets the opportunity, grab it with both hands. It's amazing. But I do think we live in a more enlightened world now where probably some of the things that happened to me wouldn't happen now. Well, I'd like yeah. to think they didn't. I mean, I do read the paper and see all these stories still coming out. But I just think that nowadays people are more open to emotional and mental health issues. And, and, and there are more places for people like me to turn to. There just wasn't the avenue in those days. And I think yeah. because I came from this tough working class background where you sucked it up, where when those things happened, you just grin grin and bear it you know you got on with your life i didn't have the ability to to, to look for help yeah that's a fair anyway, point and listen i wasn't down a mine you know digging <laughs> coal you know let's yeah. let's be honest here yes i had in a very bad time but you know a lot of people had a bad time in their lives and they recover so i'm nothing special there are plenty of people that have suffered in different ways you know yeah and i guess you know it just highlights the fact that whatever you do and um, wherever you are um, we're all capable of, of um uh, having sort of mental health issues and it's good that the support is is there more now for people than it was back then and i would like um, to offer it if, you know if in, a, in my limited way you know i some i see these people saying you know oh i'm going to be a judge on this a judge on that well you know what i might not have had 10 gold albums but what i did have was a very short sharp education in the industry mm. and you know i think it's a very valuable thing to offer people i mean i've only as i say scraped on the surface today but I think that I, w I wish that I, I had the ability to help mentor um, some of these kids on TV. I think that they would, um, it would give them an extra layer of armour going forward for themselves, to, things to be aware of, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's been a, a very, very insightful conversation with you today. And I'm sure, as you say, you, you've only scratched the surface. But um, before we let you go, tell us and anyone listening where we can find you and where we can listen to your music. 
Um, set Your Spirit Free, Don't Want to Lose That Girl. Um, the, the latest single is Don't Want to Lose That Girl. It's on Spotify, iTunes, Apple, or it's actually on every uh, platform you can imagine. There's a video out at the moment. Can you imagine I shot a video? I mean, God, I haven't done a video in decades. You know, I remember I started seeing the video and the director went, are you going to move a bit? And I went, am I? I don't know. So, yeah, the video is out on YouTube. I've got a YouTube channel, which has hardly anything on it, but you can get me on um, Twitter, Daniel James 1925. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Insta. There's not much on there because, as I say, I'm crawling out of a, you know, I'm like Dracula coming out of a coffin, you know, <laughs> and reborn, you know. So there's very little, but it's building. So set your spirit freeze on all those sites. Don't want to lose that girls on those sites. Please vote for me on the heritage chart. Even if you just want to vote for me, even if you just want to give me a sympathy vote, you know, you don't <laughs> like the track. Herit Theheritagechart.co.uk, scroll down, press vote now, scroll down, find me somewhere. At the moment, I'm 21. Give us your click, press submit, because I'd like to climb higher in the heritage chart. You know, it's really good. And as I say, there's a new single out in mid-September, uh, cover of Loving You with Melissa Whitehouse. It's up tempo. And then maybe near a Christmas, I've got like um, maybe a sort of not a Christmas track, but more of like a winter track. Like Don't Wanna Lose That Girl's Very Summery. Um, I've got a couple of tracks and I'm thinking, well, I might really re release like a, a Cozy By The Fire track. There's me, awesome. slagging off Richard, there's me slagging off Richard Carter with his schmaltzy movies. And there's me <laughs> now having a schmaltzy Christmas record. Oh dear, what a boy of contradiction, <laughs> No, it's been great, um, and that's, that sounds awesome. Uh, we look forward to hearing that. Um, thank you very much, Daniel. It's been great chatting with you, and uh, best of luck. Thank you very much, mate. That's it for this week of the Friday Film Club. Thanks for listening, and remember, you can rate and review us on all good podcast platforms. Also, uh, do reach out to us on social media at the Fry Film Club on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And if you want to be a guest in a future episode, do drop us a message on social media or email liam at hefcorp.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.